banging bars trying to fight for that inside. I went for a little pass from the inside and I got sideways and I got shuffled back. I took the inside line and I cleaned him the f*** out. This is the Inside Line Podcast with your host, Caleb Russell, Don A.G., Johnny Gallagher. It's the off-road show you didn't know you needed. Yeah, boys. Round four. Here we go. We are have upgraded the studio we wanted to build in a little comfort updated and upgraded <clears throat> we are now moved over from the uh the kitchen table to um kitchen counter kitchen really. counter table counter and we are chilling on the couch we're on the couch couches i got a recliner over here it's comfy man we're watching we're watching, watching supercross, supercross qualifying we're, we're gonna do some supercross bench racing Hanging out, talking off road. How about the man in the middle? We got we got a two person intro. We're gonna have to amend that. Ben Kelly becoming a staple here on the Inside Line podcast. We're just we're just gonna bring him in full time. We're gonna have to. I don't know if we can afford him. We can't. Um, this podcast makes zero dollars, so we can, technically not. But well, that's carry resources. That's does true. a great that's job true. helping us out. That's true. But w- w- as far as we can revenue, pay you and we can pay you in trident layers. Yes, we can pay you in gum. Yeah, Caleb can ca- Caleb can pay you in experience. I can pay you in friendship. Maybe I I, I think that's all I got. Just a consider, little bit of advice here and there. Just consider it media training. That's what I keep saying. Once yeah. once I'm out of here, though, I'm gone. Gone. Never once I move back. out. The the <laughs> prob- the problem is you came on. You did too good of a job. You did a great job. You became our statistician, our fact checker, our IT guy. And uh, the people love you, man. All positive comments. So back here for episode four. BK, he's back. On the couch, chilling. That's right. Kids on a couch. <laughs> <They're>, uh, <laughs> I don't think we're as uh, as funny as them. No. Not as much character, but we'll try. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Terra firma? Kids, Kids on, on the couch? couch. Ricky? Are, oh, Bubba. you mean? Yeah, yeah, Bubba. Okay. I didn't know Pastrana. that was. Quad guys, dude. Whatever, dude. I watched that video. I never referred to it as kids on a couch because they were like in, in quite a bit of that. They were in the back of a van. Oh, it was like a Class C motorhome. Eh, it could have been a bench in a van. Yeah, I think they? it was like a moto van. Yeah, it probably was. Yeah, they didn't really have motorhomes back then. No, they were. That, was, we're talking like '94. It was primitive. Five. Primitive. The good old days. The good old days. Were you guys born yet? Back. Yeah, I was born. Not me. <laughs> Wait, were you born? I was '96, so I was <laughs> close. I graduated high school the year you were born. That's that's why I'm here for the fact checker. A little better with technology. Oh, come and these old on. old gentlemen. His, I know how to his, work an iPhone. His mind's a little bit fresher. That is accurate. He's his mind and eyes are definitely fresher. Let's no uh, about let, let's get in some racing. Johnny G just got back from Shoot. trim. Works racing, baby. I'm right. a big, big time West Coast works guy. He he might as well just you, you need to pack up, move out there. And get back after it in the pro career. I mean, we're battling for top fives. Yeah. Um, like I told you guys, I went out there, um, yeah, just to have some fun. Obviously retired, but had a bike out there, left out there last year, and thought about hitting a couple rounds this year. Round one was a week ago, and uh, happened to be out there, had the opportunity, went out, and uh, practice went horribly. 
didn't remember how to ride an ATV and then something happened in the race and I accidentally got myself into a race, way overexerted myself, temporary blindness, blurry vision, uh, legs went numb. That wasn't until the next day, but uh, yeah, so ended up uh, ended up 7-0-A and had a good time doing it, so no desire or inclination to come back to full-time racing. It, it, it was a blast, but when it was over and I could not walk properly for four days, and, and like I was telling you guys earlier, Thursday still feeling the effects of a Sunday race. That's how you know you're officially too old and too out of shape to be doing this stuff. Worst retirement ever or what? Is that what they call it? Straight back into it? <laughs> straight back into it. If I was going to go straight back into it, though, I definitely would have done some training, a little bit of prep work, um, decided race was on Sunday, decided Friday night late to pull the bike out of the corner of my buddy Corey's place in Utah and, and do a little prep. Um, ironically, where I was in Utah, uh, St. George, Washington area, uh, just down the road from Fast Company Handlebars, uh, former employer of uh, one of our guests tonight, or our guest tonight, he's going to be on talking about the Dakar Rally with us. Some great success there, Skyler House. Um, he is a, we'll, we'll find out from him, but either a Washington or a St. George native. So yeah, I was in his hood for the last two weeks and uh, did a little racing. Yeah, so round one of the the work series it was round one right yep yeah. yep round one of uh, they're they're uh when yeah, i say I, weird it's it's normal for them but they just raced their final round yeah like of 22 in november in his, yeah and then round one is uh you got like was four or five weeks off yeah but then they have a massive gap in, in the, the summer. summer yep we have base basically with gncc we have that massive gap in the summer and then another massive gap in the winter but yeah their seasons uh even with the the big six you know, it ends and it's like literally a month later, you're racing the next season again. So it's, it's almost like it never, nothing ever really changes from the last round to the first round besides maybe some team switches and, uh, new bikes and stuff like that. But it just seems like it's kind of a, just a, a roundabout way of getting right back into it. You don't really have any sort of time to like build off of anything or, you know, build yourself back up in the off season because there literally isn't one. Well, we, we, you know, we've talked a lot about the silly season. We focused largely on GNCC, XC1, and XC2, but silly season out west, too. I mean, big changes for those guys. Uh, defending works champ, uh, two-time champ, Dante Oliveira, not contesting the work series this year. Focused on uh, national hair scrambles, and I believe it's any, I forget, NPGC. I Just call it Big Six. Big Six. NGPC. Okay. And, yeah. yeah, and NEPLMN. NGPC. Yeah, that's it. Is that what it is? Not N GBC tires. NGPC. NGPC. Not a clue what it stands National for. National Grand Prix Championship. There we go. Could be. Sounds about right. That's what I'm Makes going with. Sense. But his brother, Mateo, getting bumped up to the factory squad this year. Uh, they're contesting on the podium. Uh, third place. Um, top two were uh, Tyler Lynn, I believe his name was, on the uh, on the Chaparral Kawasaki team. Uh, teammate of Zach Bell. I uh, was ripping, and uh, I, I'd actually like to have this guy on. Um, I don't know. I'm sure you guys probably didn't follow along too closely, but I was there, so I got to hear his interview. Their race was right before ours, same day. His podium interview, actually, I'm sorry, his post-race interview, aggressive, man. I mean, he, like, called everybody else out. Like, I've, I don't know that I've ever heard. Caleb, at your most, like, revved up after a race, I don't think you had anything for this guy. I believe it was his first win in the pro class, like pro one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he basically came out, 
I get what he was saying, but it, to me, it came off as super aggressive. Basically said, this is what I trained for to come out and show these guys I'm an animal and that they can't hang with me. I did that today. They know they have nothing for me. Like it was, if we could find it online, I'd love to like splice no, it in. That's, that's, that's ego. <laughs> that's, you tried to compare that to me. I mean, yeah, I would get. No, 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 no. But I'm saying, I'm not saying like you had an ego. I'm saying like it was aggressive. Like he was. Well, obviously, yeah. He was going at <laughs> those guys make some hard. Bold statements like that. It's going to come yeah. around and bite you in the ass. And Cole Martinez, who ended up second, did not seem impressed. Um, yeah, I bet afterwards. Not. Like you it don't want. I've I've learned in racing, you don't want to give anybody any sort of motivation to just beat the hell out of you. <laughs> and by doing that right there, that that just gives everybody like that extra like, no, we're not going to play nice at all. And and to be to be fair and to be one hundred percent clear, like I would like to have that. I'm sure it's recorded somewhere. It's good to have that mentality. No, no, no. But I'm saying I would like to have that interview because. That just that you'll learn your lesson. It gives uh, the competition a little motivation. Yeah, like for way, sure. Way you just see that and you're like, ah, oh, yeah. I want to beat that guy. Or I don't want him to be. Yeah. But and and I don't want to speak work. for him. Maybe he didn't mean it that way. It's but to me, excited. listening to it, yeah, it like I was like, literally yeah, getting kind of getting cringy. dressed. And yeah, like I was I stopped what I was doing and turned around and listened. And I was like, awesome. wow, that was a lot, man. Hey. Um I mean, entertainment. don't yeah. know the guy could be like the coolest dude ever and didn't mean it that way. Maybe I read it wrong, but to me, it was super like Tyler, if you're out there, you happen to listen to this podcast or anybody does like, I would love to hear the audio and I would love to hear your side of it. And maybe you were just saying it like, Hey man, I'm going to say it and I'm going to back it up. But to me, it was aggressive. Yeah. There's, there's a whole lot of things I've said in the past and I'm like, damn, that, that definitely came off wrong. I, I should have taken a second and like reevaluate reevaluated how I wanted to portray that message. But, but yeah, man, you making bold statements like that. And, and again, to clear this up. This was like off the track helmet still on yeah. Mike in the face. Yeah, so, yeah. and I think it was his we first win might've just been revved up, but yeah, it didn't, it did not seem like his competition was like, Oh, yay for him winning. Yeah. They were kind of like, Oh, cool. Like you're going to talk about us like that. We're going to make you pay. Yeah. No, that's, that's the thing, man. Um, when you're over the top like that, like people are just going to start gunning for you. Like the best thing to do is like the Ben Kelly approach. Oh, hey man. <laughs> oh, it was, it was a really, I just, uh, that dude just shoulder checked me coming off the track. Uh. <laughs> just laugh about it. I don't know, dude. That's just, there, it's yeah, not, right there. It's, it's he good. just, I that mean, was the response right there. Yeah. Though. But I don't it's, know. it's not me trying to be like that. It's no, just the way yeah. I am. I don't know exactly, why. Like yeah. just things like that don't phase me. But, but. That, that keeps that target like solely like, not directly on you. Someone might be less likely to run it in on me yeah. or or let me buy or, or who knows. And yeah, sometimes I've seen that like happen. Yeah, yeah for so. sure. Except Strang. He's made it pretty clear he still owes you one. I think he got me back, dude. I don't I'm know. just kidding. I'm just, you guys, I think you guys squashed <laughs> no, that yeah, in episode we're, we're four. That. We're good. Was it? Or three, three. Three. This is four. John nah, is that, was, that was years ago. It's cool. It's racing. Yeah. I wasn't mad about it, so I don't know. <laughs> I just laughed it off. We're good. It's it's all good. It's water under the bridge. It happens. It, it's not going to be the last time either. Yeah, for sure. You're going to have more run-ins and. It's hard to things. make the the right decision all the time when everything's happening so fast. Oh. You're not going to make the right decision. Like, no, and you're not going to please everybody either. No, not a chance. So, so. <clears throat> take it as you will. But uh, yeah, so uh, so Tyler Lynn first first works win. Uh, Cole Martinez second. Mateo. Oliveira third um, in his, what, first start as a 
uh, in the pro class, or did he? No, race one he last actually year? he. Ra- I was at the last round last year. He did race the pro one class, um, but so he the, was he was on the RPM KTM team then. So this was his first race as the premier rider four factor KTM. Yeah, in the pro class. So, that works because he did race. Yeah, yeah. That NGPC. And, go ahead. What's so, the letters again? NGPC. NGPC, which they called. It was kind of funny, like the perspective of things. They're like, dude, full mutter. And like I watched it. It looks slick for sure. But yeah, the conditions no, was, looked like was, mint. It was like, man, that looks good. It was like a watered it moto track that was just, you could tell like the consistency of the dirt made it slick, but it, it didn't definitely didn't look like a mud race. We just have different perspectives, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And okay. like our dry is probably perfect dirt to them, you know? I, it's still yeah. got moisture in it, yeah, for sure. I talked to a couple guys that are, one guy from works that raced Ironman, and I was like, oh my God, it was so dusty, so dry. And he's like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> it was like pretty normal, but he didn't know, he doesn't know Ironman with good dirt, so. Yeah, you, you don't have a, you don't have any perspective of what you're, should yeah. be getting. Frame of reference is That's way a, I noticed when I, when I went out west, um, in 2018 and rode the MPGC series, um, we'd show up to a track and they'd be, all the guys would be like, oh man, this, this sucks. It's shit. It's terrible. And I was just like, hmm. Okay. I was like, it just looks like any other one to me. Like, cause I yep. had nothing to compare it to. So I had no idea what was good and what was bad. Um, so, and that does play a huge role in, uh, like experience and understanding the terrain and maybe how it's going to break down differently. So and like, that was all new to me. So I, I, I did get that experience as far as that perspective of not having any sort of clue because we've all been around GNCC for so long. So we have an idea of what each racetrack should look like or should give us yep. in a sense, as far as the the race course, the terrain, the weather, all this. Um, so when you have absolutely no idea what to expect, like it's, it's kind of cool. It's re- it really is because you just like, Oh yeah, whatever. And I think it, at this point, like we all collectively, Caleb, you and I for sure. And Ben, you're getting there. Like you've seen every track in every condition imaginable. Like you've run a dust race at pretty much every GNCC facility that we race. And you've run a mud race or a wetter race at pretty much every GNCC facility. So you have like the, the, the opposite spectrums to start from. Like you, it could be somewhere in between there, but it's probably not going to be muddier than the muddiest you've ever raced it. And it's probably not going to be drier than the drier you've ever raced it. We're again out there actually. So Ben in talking a little bit earlier, you actually raced a, what are the letters or back then it was a big six. Back then it was big six. Yeah. At Lake Havasu, but I wouldn't, I don't know. This is the only one I've ever raced and you know, it's a tighter race. course, sand race, more so a gravel pit, but so, so short me, course and about it's that. a little tighter. What did you think of, I don't want to like, so somebody may be out there watching this or listening to this right now that knows where I'm going with this. Um, Chris Borch and his cronies, uh, Chris was supposed to be on tonight, but he stood us up. Um, what, what did you guys think of Havasu? Caleb, you raced there as well. Ben, what, what were your thoughts on Havasu? I thought it was sick. I mean, I like sand and sand tracks like that. And in a sick town right on the lake is super cool. Uh, I was definitely not expecting it to be so gravelly and stuff. Like, it was cool. And I liked it. You know, had a good good race the first time I did it. Second time I got absolutely spanked. But, yeah, it was good. Good competition. And I was all for it. Definitely those short laps for an hour and a half, I think it was, big six, was Man, it was tough, but yeah, it was cool. I wanna, I wanna go back for sure and 
try to have a, a good finish. Where would you rate Havasu on the scale of like roughness and, and brutal? It's right up there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Caleb? Um, for me, I really enjoyed it. I was fit at the time. And so I was right at the end of 2018. Uh, and it was pretty early in November. So I was still pretty race fit and went into it, expected it to be a lot sandier than it was. The up top there was like just gravel on hard ass clay. Yeah. There's no sand there. And then I mean, like, well, there is a couple, there is yeah, the, yeah, a couple turns. Yeah. Like, there's literally right there where the Laguna is like, that yeah. was the only sand. It might've been like a 20 second long section, but it was rough. It was super rough, but all the uh, like sand whoops were rock whoops. Yeah. You know, it was, it was definitely different. Um, you would not be able to run a paddle there, so you couldn't no. call it a, a sand race. I I accidentally raced that race uh, at the beginning of the 2021 series and had no intentions of racing. It just had a quad. I was out there getting a trailer wrapped, actually, and I uh, got suckered into it without a work setup, and I left there and said, and still stand by, it was the roughest track I ever raced in my life. Um, it was a ATV and side-by-side weekend, so the side-by-sides, like, destroyed it. But, yeah, the gravel whoops were, like, nothing at it. So I was just curious to get your guys' perspective. Yeah, it was fun. Hey, we got to get Skylar Howes on the line. We're going to take a short break, and uh, we'll, we'll be right back with Skylar to talk to Carr and see what uh, see how that event is ran. You know, it seems like a logistical nightmare, and uh, it's unreal the amount of time that they ride those bikes and what they have to do and and the distance the distance they cover and the conditions surviving yeah. in the wilderness actually it's not wilderness it's desert desert yeah he's going to tell us all about it let's hear it stay tuned what's happening oh uh, sitting on the couch watching supercross making a podcast and we got you on the line Sick. welcome to the Hell inside yeah. line good to have you <laughs> thanks for having me yeah man we're uh, we're excited to have you it was a awesome job at the car uh, you got to be super stoked on how that turned out. I know you had put in a lot of work uh, to be on that factory Husqvarna rally team, and it's uh, it's definitely paying off. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, that's the interesting way to look at it. Uh, you know, as much as anyone else does, just because you're a factory rider doesn't mean the hard work stops. You definitely have to put in you know, uh, an incredible amount of hard work with bike preparation and development and training and like the team we've been training super hard this year. The, the, the tests, like the bike tests that we've had are no joke with the rally team. Like we're out there for 10 hours minimum per day testing and, uh, with the road books in between to make sure that we're doing like proper setups on the bike. So they work during, you know, rally, uh, you know, rally riding and stuff like that. So yeah, this whole, this whole last year has been gnarly with the team push in. Plus I hired a a personal trainer. So to have a result like this definitely makes that hard work just within the last year feel super sweet. But I mean, yeah, everything that it took to get to this point in the first place, it makes it feel even sweeter. Yeah. There's a whole lot of sacrifice that comes with, trying to uh, be at the top of any sort of uh, sport and discipline and rally racing. It, now that I, I I'm, I'm growing to, uh, to learn about it a little bit more. I'm curious 
So I'm, I'm checking in on things. I'm keeping up with it. And man, it's gnarly. It's a, you know, it, it's a dirt bike in a sense, but it's a completely separate animal to actually just hopping on it and going fast. There's so much that goes into it. The rally book, you, you talked about, you know, your road book. Um, you bet you're basically reading a GPS as you go, but it doesn't tell you where the hell you're going. Like you got to kind of read all those markers within that and figure out which direction is going to be best. Um, all this stuff to take into consideration and absolutely haul ass. Yeah. The best way to explain it is I guess people in a older generation too, is, uh, reading map quest. It's like trying to map quest and ride at a hundred miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. So it's or text and drive on the freeway during traffic. <laughs> it's like, it's a lot to, to focus on. And I mean, I think it's why I loved it so much. I grew up in the desert and I grew up racing national hare and hounds and local races and things like that. So I've always been more of like an endurance, uh, desert racer. Yeah. And and you've, you've always put, had that natural ability to be, you know, loose on the bike and comfortable at, up, you know, at very high speed. Right. But it's, it's super strange too, because like, you know, in Heron Hounds or even in rally, sometimes we get into some technical areas, but you know, and, and growing up riding, I I've ridden a lot more technical terrain and stuff, but uh, it's like enduro high intensity stuff is not, I mean, obviously if you put enough training into something, you can, you can become better, but like, it's just not, it's not my style. My style is long, super long days on the bike, high speed, which is exactly what rally is. And then to add that extra, uh, challenge into it, to have to navigate and not have like course markings and stuff. I think it honestly just lit more of a fire because with Heron Hounds and with Baja racing, I was struggling a lot, you know, trying to find support and just, I don't know, just in general people out there in Baja, it's about how much free time you have and how much budget you have. Yeah. You have and to, you have to spend, you, you know, a whole lot of time down in Mexico learning the track and, and basically just free riding and knowing all your sections to the T and just blitz them right. as fast as you can go, which is super scary because exactly. stuff changes from the last time you've actually seen it as well. Yeah. And then, you know, so let's say you're one of a, a, a super fast talented rider and you go down there and you ride a section that you've pre-ran a few times. You think you're, you're going to be blitzing it and you're going to have this super awesome time. And then all of a sudden you come out at the end of the section and you're three minutes back and you got passed by someone that you didn't even see. Yeah. And so it's like, ah, you know, th that kind of stuff just started chipping away at me a little bit. And same with like hair and hounds and, you know, all that kind of stuff just started chipping away and kind of taking a little bit of the love out of it. And I, I also like made some bad decisions and got involved with some people that just were bad bad for my life in general and i went broke trying to race with them and all this kind of stuff so i was just in like this kind of deep spot and got pulled out by my buddy who was like all right we're gonna go race vegas to reno it's gonna be on me and you know let's just let's go racing he could tell that i was just not in a good spot and at that race <laughs> i met uh this guy garrett who essentially made it possible for me to do rallies and at that time there was like nothing happening like ricky 
uh, Ricky was still relatively new into, into racing rallies and all that kind of stuff. And so everything up until that point beforehand was like, if you raced rally as an American, you were just a factory racer and it was nothing else other than what you watched on TV. There was really no information. How do you do it? Any of this kind of stuff. But I was really interested because I grew up, you know, watching Dakar on TV and whatnot. So I got involved with this dude, Garrett. He made it possible. And that, like, he gave me my first road book. And when I, when you finally, like, start to figure it out and you're clicking and you're like, you get this corner right, you get that corner right, you get this cap heading right, and it just, like, starts clicking, for whatever reason, it just lit this fire. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is, I've always wanted to do the Dakar, but I was like, the rally is sick. Like, this is so much fun. Well, yeah, so. we, we can tell we can tell that uh, obviously your results this year uh, in the Dakar, and then obviously too, even even last year, you know, rally is its own series; it has its own championship that it follows. So, um, obviously, doing very well in all of it, and had an outstanding result. Led a whole lot of the Dakar, didn't win. I I noticed uh, our. I've got Ben Kelly in studio with us with Johnny, Johnny G and we were looking up your results and we noticed you didn't win a single stage. You had a whole lot of seconds and was in the, were in the top five, most of uh, the stages and you, you kept yourself in it. And then uh, honestly too, I feel like for us watching it, because we don't know like opening some of those stages, especially at the stretch is pretty tough. So yes, you want to win stages and be up there, but Honestly, it's almost better to let somebody else open them up. Uh, could you walk us through some of that? And and especially, too, just how, how intense some of those sand dune stages are and, and how sketchy they are to, to go first, uh, in a sense. And also, what is the staggering like from, you know, first to tenth? Like, is it, a, are you a minute behind, two minutes behind? How do they, how do, they do uh, start you guys? So first through 10th is three minutes, 10th through 15th or 20th is two minutes. And then it goes one by one all the way until like top 50 or something, or maybe after like top 40, then it goes two every 30. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. It's strange. So there was one day that I, I wanted, I was feeling really good and I wanted to win the stage. So I pushed the whole day and then, uh, we had this neutralization and at the neutralization, I like kind of came back into, I was like, all right, you know what? Yeah. My strategy for the whole race was just ride as fast as I could do as best as I can every day and whatever happened, happened. But I came down to, it, I was like, you know what? It's probably better to have like a little bit better of a strategy. Cause I was starting to do well, starting to lead and things like that. So on one specific day, I was leading the whole day and at the last, I think it was, I think we only had like 50 or 60 kilometers left to go. I realized that it was up by like a minute and a half. So I was like, all right, it's actually going to be better for me because the way you have to look at it is the longer the stage and what the organi- the organization tells you beforehand, how tricky the navigation or the terrain or whatever, they give you a rough estimate of the next, next day's stage. So the longer the stage and the more tricky it's going to be, the more you can guarantee that you're going to lose a lot of time if you're within the top like three to four people. Yeah. So the net, the next day was longer and back into like tight canyons and tricky navigation and stuff. So 
I actually like chopped it and I was like, all right, I don't really want to lead out on that. So I, I slowed down. So on the stages that I could have won, I actually intent, I, I tried not to. And yeah, I think probably maybe I should have gone for it and won, but because on that day, the next day we ended up losing a ton of time anyways. Yep. But, uh, so yeah, basically the longer the stage and if you look in that summary, the more, say, trails you have, more like rocks and things like that, the more difficult the navigation is to be and the least you don't want to open those stages. However, they gave us a new uh, rule this year. If you start in the top three, you get a time bonus. And the way it works is if you start first, you get a one and a half second for every kilometer that you open all the way until the refueling. So at most of that can be like, five to six minutes maximum um but five to six minutes is kind of a lot considering if you only lost maybe eight minutes or something like that then that still puts you in a really good position for the next day so my strategy quickly became stay in that top three as much as possible because it actually if you have less tracks and thought in front of you you pay more attention to the road uh to the road book so for me, it's actually easier for me to to make less mistakes if I'm opening. If I have tracks in front of me, I want to push the tracks heavy and try to make up more time. And then if I'm not like staying fully on top of the road book, then it's easier for me to make a navigation mistake. So for me, it worked out better to wanna, stay in that top three zone. Yeah, you want to find something yeah. in the middle where you're always focused on every aspect of it. Because I could see that being a problem. Is like if you're way back, you just basically fall on the trail in front of you and you're not getting any of the experience of actually having to use uh, the tools necessary to navigate your way through while reading trail. So yeah, I could see that. Yeah, You can end up behind, line. you can end up behind the road book too, which is always oh. not good because then you'll come to an area where everyone just, all the tracks just go nobody every to go. single direction. Yeah. And you have no idea where to go because you haven't been paying attention. So yeah, I, yeah, that it's, was one of my it's a really too, fine line. What happens when you outride the road book? Then you're, you're yeah. basically like, uh, you know, in a boat without a paddle. Yeah, it's dangerous too, because the road book is what has our, our dangers marked in it. So if you're not paying attention to the road book, you can hit something really bad and either have a bad crash or break the bike, which is also really bad too. So getting behind the road book is, is never good. You can ride faster if you're pushing the tracks, especially in the dunes and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's just really not good because, mostly because of dangers. And then if everyone else in front of you made a mistake, you have no idea where to even go because you don't know where you've come from. You've just been on the tracks, but in the dunes, in the dunes, it's, <clears throat> it's two different sides to the sword because I would say it's easier navigation because all you're doing is following the compass. You don't have to worry about, you know, finding s secret tracks or like hidden canyons and things like that. You just follow the compass. Yeah. However, not having tracks in front of you, having to like ride blind dunes is hard to push. Like it's hard to go fast. And it's also quite dangerous because especially in the empty quarter, like where we're going uh, in a couple of weeks to Abu Dhabi, that desert down there, is really dangerous. They have all these dune cuts. I'm sure you've seen lots of videos of people just launching themselves off of, off of dunes and things like that. Yeah. Like 
a lot of the times you can't even see those coming up and those aren't actually marked in our roadbook because the dunes change so much. Wow. So yeah. opening and not having any track in front of you in front of the dunes, you're almost guaranteed to lose a ton of time. So yeah, on those days, especially like the longer dune stages, I intentionally tried to start as far back as like not lose as much time, but try to start far back. So you can, it's a little bit safer and it's, you know, easier on the mind because you don't have to navigate as hard. So in the empty quarter stage, uh, it was a marathon stage, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How is uh, how does that actually work? You know, you you don't have any support there uh, at the end of the stage. Um, could you define that uh, as far as like what all it entails for you? That um, maybe be somewhat work related to the bike, and if something were to happen, how catastrophic that could be. Yeah, the marathon stage essentially means you're unassisted. So what you start on is what you have to finish on for two days. Um, you can't swap, swap like in the past. I'm sure you've seen videos of people swapping wheels through teammates. If someone had a wheel failure, you can't do that. You have to start and finish both days with the same wheels, with the same motor, with the same frame, all that kind of stuff. Um, you can change parts and you can work on your bike, but it's kind of similar to six days um where you only get like 30 minutes it's more time but uh you only get 30 minutes to work on your bike uh so if you did have a crash or anything like that you have a time allotment to fix the bike yes. but you don't have parts with you yeah so it's whatever part. whatever you can carry with you um on your person's yeah. basically is what you can fix and if you know something catastrophic happens you're you're basically sol so that's that's pretty wild that's uh that's tough because you can get I mean, that was late in the the, DAC, the Dakar there. You know, what was that, eight, nine days in or something? Yeah, that was yeah day like 10 or 11 or something like that. Yes. And the, this year was different because it was a, it was a dunes-like uh, marathon. So dunes are easier on the tires, so you don't really have to manage your tires as hard. So you yeah, can you kind of push. You don't have to worry about, about them falling apart on day two. Right. You can push harder, but dunes are also harder on the clutches. So you got to, you still have to manage the bike a little bit because you are on your own. But when you come in, essentially you're like changing the air filter, checking your spokes, checking overall the bike. You won't really have to do too much um, if you didn't have any crashes, but yeah, just kind of give it a once over and then give it, you know, another good push the next day. But you really just have to kind of play it by ear if it's really rocky or really fast you have to take care of the tires and the mooses if it's really sandy you got to take care of the clutch and you know some other stuff like that so yeah and i think that's one aspect uh probably most of the listeners don't uh quite understand is um they're like oh you know i buy a tire and a moose and it lasts me you know four or five races or the moose lasts me (laughs) half the year but you know you guys are on these on these tires and mooses going very fast and tough terrain on a very heavy bike on a very heavy bike (laughs) beating the hell out of them the things just fly apart you know you get so much heat in them um they just start disintegrating uh and i I think that's tough for a lot of people to understand uh and grab grab that aspect but uh well also the other side of it too is the liaisons because we got to ride another like four to six hours on the highway before and after the the stage as well too how was um so i've got johnny and ben are in studio and i I know they have a lot of questions asked as well i'm sure because we all we all kind of watched it together 
you know, unfold uh, the last several weeks. But um, I didn't write anything down. I'm just as you talk, I, it jogs stuff to my well, my mind to. Uh, I've to got ask I've got one, uh, and it kind of comes from an aspect of of someone just starting to understand Dakar better. Um, so obviously, as Americans, American race fans, power sports race fans. Dakar is, is growing rapidly. People following it, obviously Red Bull TV helping out a lot. Uh, yourself, Ricky Brayback, uh, obviously having success. You know, when when you can assimilate yourself to that, being an American power sports racer, like kind of draws you into it. You want to see your home countrymen do well. How does that feel for you? And I, I guess from your perspective, I, I know a little bit of your history. It's funny, you and I have never met, but we have a lot of uh, a lot of overlap. Obviously you worked uh, very closely with the guys at Fast Company there and in Utah, I know they were a big part of some of your fundraising back in the privateer days when you first went to Dakar. Um, I've worked with those guys forever. Um, so there's there's a lot of overlap, but but your story kind of drew me in to Dakar. And now, like, I follow it. I, every day I'm checking social media. I'm, I'm watching the recaps. How does that feel for you and, and, like, Ricky, knowing that you guys kind of are the big catalyst for that here in the States? Uh, I mean, to have the the accomplishment in general is is so i don't know it's hard it's hard because you've you've we've all had accomplishments in racing and it's like this is what we trained to do you know what i'm saying like this is this is what we set out to do is to win races or or championships and things like this so it it has this i don't know, i don't really have this feeling of like ah i've accomplished everything that i've wanted to do you know what i'm saying like i it honestly just made me more hungry so I I'm extremely proud of this and, but I, I just want to go back and I, I want to do better because at, at every single day of the race, there's probably one moment at each stage that could have changed the entire outcome of the entire rally. But so I'm extremely proud of this, but I know that I can, I can go back with more experience and do better. And what I'm hoping for is I, my entire feeling with the success that I've been able to have and where I've come from and all that kind of stuff. I just want to share my love of this sport with the rest of the people in USA. It's really difficult to have a rally in general, or to even like get your hands on a road book and go out and do rally. So it's a, a pretty small group. And my entire hope behind all of this is with success that Ricky's had winning it and being on the podium. Now me on the podium and hopefully I can go back and, and do better and things like that. What I'm hoping is to just grow more, get more eyeballs on, on it and get more people passionate about it. Because I think that there's so many people and so many other riders that are here in America that can do really good in rally. Well, and I, that's the, the go ahead. I can tell you for sure. Like you say, you want to put more eyes on it. You have, you want to draw more attention to it. <laughs> you have like, and I, I get like, you know, as an athlete, as a, as someone who's always driving and pushing, like you never want to kind of feel like you've made it and you say like, Hey, I'm, you know, I got it on the, I got on the podium. It's a great accomplishment, but there's no time to celebrate. We got to prep for next year. I want to go back and I want to win this thing. I get that. But I, I but right. I, I think from, from my perspective, outside looking in, like, I think it's important for you guys to realize you took something that was, it's kind of like soccer in a way, like Dakar is huge <laughs> in the rest of the world. But Americans are just like, what? No, nah, it's kind of weird. We don't get it. Um, but I think <laughs> Dakar has Dakar and Rally overall has that kind of vibe right now in the states. But 
people are starting to understand like, dude, this is cool. And and I think there's a lot of things that play into why it's becoming more talked about, more popular, more followed here in the States, but you guys are a big part of that. And uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome to see. Like I said, uh, being an ATV guy, being uh, somebody that had absolutely no experience with Dakar, um, I actually, and I don't know how much you guys know each other, but uh, pretty close with uh, Manuel Andujar, who won the ATV side of Dakar in 2021, mm-hmm. um, actually trained him years ago over in Argentina. And I remember him telling me when we were there, he was racing motocross at the time. And he was like, yeah, my dream is to race Dakar. And I was like, why? Uh, and and it, don't <laughs> please don't take offense to that. I just knew nothing about it. I didn't even know they raced ATVs there let alone, like, I knew they raced motorcycles. I'd seen it, like, on Wide World of Sports and things like that back in the day. But, like I said, now Red Bull TV, um, so many of these things, people are watching it. These these guys here at Ranch Russell, every day, tuned in to the, to the stage recaps, and, you know, they're following along with you guys. I think it's awesome to see. Well, I think what's super cool about it, too, is specifically this year is the race was so close. And, you know, I'm, I'm racing against legends like Toby and Kevin and, the rest of the, I mean, every dude, there was probably 15 people that could have won it this year, which is so gnarly. And literally it comes down to just if you did or did not make a mistake that day. And, you know, like my teammate Luciano, he won more stages than anyone else. And, but he lost like 20 minutes in navigation mistakes. So he was just out, you know, out of the, the hunt for the win. But I think that kind of, that kind of, uh, competition also sparks a lot of interest too, which I think is really cool. But what I'm hoping for is just right now it's, it's so hard to, to just figure out the information, how to get your hands on a road book, what equipment do you need, how to do a school, all that kind of stuff. It's something that I really hope to like try and, and change over the years. Right now the schedule is just insane. So it's like really hard to try and do a school myself or do anything like that. But I think, like I said earlier, like this, this, side of racing where you have to navigate it's not about how fast you like you have to be fast and you have to be a good rider but there's also a handful of riders out there that are the best sand racers in the world and like the best motocross right like just insanely fast people but you put a road book in front of them and something's just not kind of something's not connecting there and that's why i think is so interesting about it is it's not about how fast you are it's about how you can like connect the dots and and do all that and yeah. i think it's so interesting to have that kind of like adventure also like you're going through a, a country that you would never be like i rode through kazakhstan a couple of years ago like wow. i never in my wildest dreams thought i'd be in kazakhstan you know see Bora. and just that side of yeah dude <laughs> it's so strange such a weird country but but that side of it it's just like it's the ultimate adventure and i know adventure bikes are big and things like that but it's like when you add this extra level of of navigating to it. It's just so it's, it's awesome. I want to hopefully kind of grow it a little bit more too. So, you know, how much much overlap do you think real quick, how much overlap do you think there is between adventure riding and rally at like a a recreational, not obviously Dakar and somebody looking to go try to win Dakar because I mean, you referenced it and we all know that's the fastest growing segment of, of motorcycles right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it, literally just comes down to to navigation so the the rally bike specifically is way more capable than a than an adventure bike the adventure bike is made to be comfortable for long days on the bike um 
So if you're out on the adventure bike and you're and you want to go like three, four, or five hundred miles that day, that's going to be comfortable and it's probably doable. You got to avoid technical terrain, but it really just comes down to the navigation. Like long days on the bike are capable by anyone, enduro stuff like that. But it's just about covering ground that you've never seen before. You don't really know where you're going. You have an idea and you have like a maybe like a goal. You want to reach a certain area, but you don't really know how to get there that's kind of the key. It's like going in a place that you've never been before and you don't really know how to get there, but you have an idea that's, that would be super similar to rally. The difference is most of the guys, when they do adventure bike stuff, they're taking a GPS line and they have a, you know, they have something that they're going to follow and they're not really going to get lost. So if you could incorporate, like get a tablet and put a, a electronic roadwork system on an adventure bike, then you'd nail it. Then it'd be like, dead on and then keep a gps as backup just in case you get real lost <laughs> i think it's super cool um i was i never uh what the over the, the last few years i've i've became more accustomed to rally and slowly but surely like got my bearings with it uh and an understanding of what it actually is because at first it was like oh you just it's like desert you're on this big ass bike and you go as fast as you can. But honestly, that's not a, that's not what it's about at all. Um, as I've come to find out, uh, just by paying attention for one. Um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, not to say that I ever, ever would have had the opportunity, opportunity to, to do it, but it looks like a blast and I'm bummed that I never gave myself the opportunity to possibly ever do it. Like I always turned it down. Like anybody ever asked, Oh, would you ever want to go do rally? And I was like, no, it's not really my thing. But now that I see it, but maybe it's my age and it's, it's, it's kind of cool now that I look back. It's obviously it's not flashy by any means. It's a lot of work and it's like, it's like six days, but only like three times as hard and as, as physical, you know, how, how many kilometers was it this year? Uh, the best way to explain it to Americans is we raced for about 5,200 miles. Yeah. It's gnarly. It's so does, <laughs> does that, or does that not include the liaisons? Uh, I think that includes everything. I think it's like, it was somewhere around 9,000 or just over 9,000 kilometers, which is somewhere around like 5,000 miles, something like that. Unreal. Yeah. So it's wild. And yeah. How, and how many days? 15. Uh, like 16 total days, but one day was a prologue and one day was a rest day. Yeah. So 14, so f- 14 days, you basically covered 5,000 miles. Yeah. So the, the crazy thing about this year's Dakar too, was if you just made it to rest day, you had already completed the entire, you were only 300 kilometers short of cl- completing the entire Dakar of last year. Wow. And then. And then you still had another five days of racing. So, and another, you know, five days extra too. So it was like, it was incredibly difficult. It was the hardest Dakar that I've ever done. And What's the wild. other guys that have been doing it for, for the long time, as they say, it's, it's also one of the most difficult and the hardest stages they've ever had to do too. That's, so. that's impressive to hear that it was that uh, difficult this year and to see how competitive it was because usually when you think it would be that hard like yeah you would have big time gaps and it'd be kind of a snooze fest in a sense but i mean it was one of the most two or erratic was it two days cars. to go there was three you guys under like was i mean it 30 seconds or something like that total 
Yeah, me and me and Toby, if you look at our, our split times, me and Toby were so identical, we would be separated. So this is the other thing that I have to explain real quick too. If you look at like the tracker, uh, some people get confused and see that mo a lot of people will record that they're only like seconds apart and they think that they're riding together. But we start three minutes apart right. from each other. So there is someone that could have started in six and a person that could have started in 15th that are separated by, you know, 20, 30 minutes or something like that. But they're recording almost the exact same time on the stage, which is gnarly. And if you look at the split times between me and Toby, we were almost doing that damn near the whole race. And so, yeah, coming into the last like two days, me and Toby were only separated by like 12 seconds, 28 seconds. And then the last day, uh, the last dune stage, I had two crashes. Every time you crash in a rally too, you can pretty much almost guarantee that you're going to lose about a minute. Really? So I had much? two crashes. Yeah. Cause you're just losing so much forward momentum. So you have to, you have the crash itself that's taken, you know, whatever, 15, 20 seconds, and then you have to get back up to speed. What, so it's like, you can, was one of those, the, the no footer. <laughs> no, <laughs> the no footer was actually worked out into my favor. However, that day, <laughs> this is also another funny part too, is so that day was super short. It was like 114 kilometers. And then the next day was going to be 280 of all dunes. So neither Toby or I wanted to do well that day. So we were intentionally going slow, but we were keying off of each other. This is also a very difficult thing to do in rallies. You have no idea how you're doing unless you have someone around you. So you have to key off of the people around you. So I'm like keying off of Toby, but Toby's also trying to go slow. But I don't want to catch him because then that means I'm doing you know, three minutes better than him. So I could see Toby ahead of me. So I'm like, shit, I'm doing too well. So I slow down more, but the guy behind me isn't catching me. And I'm like, crap, maybe I'm doing too good. Like it was so difficult. I ended up losing eight minutes that day because I was trying to go slow. Whereas we should have only lost like maybe two or three. And that could have been the difference between a win or third place also. So the no footer actually worked into my favor because I was trying to lose time that day, but I like me and Toby were playing cat and mouse the whole time, judging off of each other. And we were just going slower and slower and slower judging off of each other when we should have just been riding normally. So it's such a, another mind game to throw into the whole thing. It's so crazy how much strategy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like the, the race, like having a, a better understanding now and watching it, um, it looks, I'm a lot more interested in, in it now it, it's it to me it's kind of like playing chess while you're riding your dirt bike through the desert <laughs> in some pretty inhospitable conditions yeah very you much. have to be you have to be very uh, aware of your surroundings too because like let's say one day you woke up you're super tired you're you're fatigued and you're just not everyone has those days where they're just not on it on the bike and you know you're off pace and then you're just in your mind too. You're like, shit, I'm going too slow. Like, I'm just not doing good today. Like today, you have to be okay with that. Like there's so many different things where you literally just have to, you have to be okay with it. And you make a navigation mistake. Nobody wants to do that, but you just did it. You can't get angry. Just be like, gosh, well, okay. You got to figure it out, get back on track and then just do what you do. Like 
the, the days that you're off, you have to just be okay with it. Like you have 14 days that you have to do your best. And it's just, there's so much stuff that can go wrong and probably will. And you're going to be fatigued and you just have to be okay with it. And then throw in all the other challenges on top of it. Like it's such a, it's such a mental battle. I think that's why I like it so much. Well, I think that's why dirt bikes in general are very interesting because the way you describe that right there is how I try to describe, you know, the training the guys in a training camp is, you know, you're not going to be on every day. You're, you, you, you're mm-hmm. not going to ride your full potential every day. It's, we're not keying you up to do that. We're trying to, to, to build you up as much as we can. And it's going to, you're going to have fatigue in there. You're, you know, some days are, you're going to feel awesome. The next day, nothing changes and you feel like shit. It's just, it's dirt mm-hmm. bikes in general. It's a mentality. Uh, you you got to learn to deal with uh, everything that goes with it. And at the end of the day, I think whoever can mentally cope with all this, I, these things hitting them is always uh, turns out to be the strongest. Yeah, I think like what you're saying there, mentality and stuff is such an important part of riding dirt bike in, in general. And it's, I think a lot of the reason why you know i was trying to mentor mason for a while and then like myself we trained so much on the mental side of things because i operate off positivity i like some guys get angry and then they go faster that just doesn't that doesn't work for me like i think if you're angry that you're off pace you're just not feeling it that day or you're angry that you have have made a mistake or something like that and then you try to force the issue my, my idea of it is if you've made that mistake, the time's gone forever. You're never going to make that time back up. If you wanted to make time up, you should have just been going that fast in the beginning. Like the, the, the time's gone. You have to just do your best from that point forward. There's no, there's no more like fixing the mistakes. You know, you can just learn from them and just not make them in the, in the future the best way to do it is to be like, all right, well, you know, that happened. I literally can just put one foot in front of the other and just hit the gas and go. Like, that's it. And and if you have those off days, you're like, all right, well, this is what it is today. I just do the best I can. If you try to force the issue, that's when mis- more mistakes come, I found. And I think that's like, it's so interesting to be like, yeah, we're talking about rally and dirt bikes right now, but so much of this can apply to just your regular life too. Like you, this mentality and mindset rolls over into so many other different aspects too. It, it so really wild. does. This <clears throat> this is a good teachable moment. Johnny, you know what Skylar Howes is learning us right now. He's he's learning us. He, this is what he's this is what he's learned. If you're angry, you're living in the past. That's right. Mm-hmm. And and if you're scared, you're living in the future. If you're at peace, <laughs> you're right here in the present. And yeah, also up. when you, you come off a track after a race and you just won your first race, don't, uh, don't overplay your hand. We're circling <laughs> back. We'll circle we, we, back. Actually, we were we'll just, circle, uh, we'll circle back to that too. Skylar may know him. He's, he's a West coast guy. Uh, Tyler, Tyler Lynn won his first, um, I believe his first works pro race. We were talking about it before. Yeah, we called he's you. a Utah guy too. Yeah. Oh. Well, did, did you by chance hear his post-race interview when he came off the track? Mm-hmm. No, I just see his Instagram post. I haven't seen anything else. Very, very aggressive. Um, I don't, don't, oh, no. don't know him, not judging him on a personal level, but I was getting prepped to go out on the track myself. And 
basically just made the statement like I trained for this to crush these guys. I crushed them today. Um, I showed <laughs> I showed them what's up. They didn't have anything for me. I'm the baddest dude on the track. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> dude. like that. It, it, oh my god. And and again, he I, it could be a super. I'm sure he is a super good dude. Um, it was just one of those things, you know. It's uh, you don't want to give anybody any motivation, any any ammunition. And there's a lot of mind games in racing, and some of those. I, the funny thing is when we talk about head games or mind games, like it's really not between two people. It's between you and yourself, typically. Oh, 100%. big time, big time. The racers are so good at lying to themselves. <laughs> it's unreal. <laughs> and you know, I know my favorite I know. thing ever. You ever seen that that old uh, YouTube video of uh, shit dirt bikers say? I want to make one that says shit uh, off roaders say because n- every time if you ask someone, like, dude, I was I was in the lead until I wasn't. Or, I was winning this thing. I for sure I had this until unfortunately this happened. I'm like oh a lapper. The amount of times that I've heard that. Clip yeah. tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No accountability for anything ever. Yeah. Just pawning exactly. off on somebody else. VK's being awful quiet I'm, over here. Yeah, he is. He's he's sitting here studying, taking it in. He's, I, I think learning. he's he's uh he's getting ready to make his assault on American Rally or Dakar in the future. Dude, he's over here just soaking. We it all need up. more. Uh, like I'm happy, the, dude. I'm happy. I got an extra. I got an extra bike. Come freaking spend some road books, buddy. Oof, maybe I don't know. Maybe a few years down the the road, but for sure, after I've been watching it more and more, I used to, you know, maybe think like, ah, I don't know, that's kind of sketchy and whatnot. Being from the East Coast and not being, you know, growing up in the desert or anything, being used to that. But honestly, that attracts me more now, just because it's so foreign. So maybe in the future, we'll see. I definitely, I'd, uh, yeah, I dude. drove, I've drove through St. George. I was telling Johnny, but never stopped by. So on my next, uh, West coast trip, I'll have to, uh, make that a point. Dude, all you got to do is just put a road book in front of your face once and then you'll realize if you like it or don't. So I'm here if you're ready to do it. Are, yeah. are you in St. George? Where, where are you at? Yeah, I live in St. George. Okay. I, w- I was just there for two weeks, Washington Dam road. Um, I actually rode uh, my new dirt bike for the first time yesterday. Wait, I don't even know what day it is. I think it was yet. Yeah, yesterday we went out through Warner Valley and up into Sand Hollow and and messed around. So I I was basically in your your playground. <laughs> You're four minutes away from my house. I live like literally five minutes from the fast company shop. Yeah, I I knew you were right over there. My buddy uh, Corey Ellis <laughs> lives right on Washington Dam Road, um, right right there by that new where uh, Ken Roxon's. Uh, in-laws places he lives right across the street yeah yeah sick a lot a lot of things going on in that isn't it it is man it's uh bk (laughs) bk told me they've made a couple road trips out or one at least and uh you know they stopped they rode in colorado uh they went all kinds of places and i was like dude you gotta stop in st george and you know whether it be warner valley sand hollow or go up to gooseberry mason ride mountain bikes whatever it is like places just rad yeah we hit we hit little everything that you could want Oh, dude, no. Like, it. Oh, I mean, okay. look I, at him. He's like, no. <laughs> There's only so much time, man. We're trying. In our off, in our off <laughs> no. season, we're, we're driving multiple hours and riding all day till we can't function. And, you know, <laughs> you spent too much yeah. time trying to have Colorado. fun. Yeah. Should have gone for Utah yeah. instead of Colorado. Uh, next <laughs> no, time. don't get me wrong. That area is nice. I grew up racing up there, but St. George just holds a special place in my heart. This place is, it's got every single thing you could want to do besides a nightlife if you like partying yeah, this no. is not the place for you <laughs> I, you're uh, i'm sure you know obviously logan huff who works at uh fast company yeah um he i think it was last year the year before um when i was out there 
a bunch of East Coast guys and we're like, hey, let's, you know, I think we'd raced a works race and uh, afterwards we were like, hey, let's go, you know, let's go grab dinner and, and grab a beer. And it was like 8.15 and he's like, yeah, no, like everything closes in 45 minutes. We're like, oh, we'll just go to like a bar and just grab some food at the bar. <laughs> And he just started laughing. He's like, buddy, you don't know anything One about One of those Utah. dry counties or something? Well, it's not even a dry county. Like it's most state. of the state is that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, it, correct country, me if I'm huh? wrong. There's like two basically, quote unquote, bars in all of Washington, St. George. And for people who don't understand, yeah. like, this isn't a small town. Like, it is massive. <laughs> and there's like two places that are considered bars. Like, you can order alcohol at some of the restaurants, one- but... Yeah, one of the places too is dicey. <laughs> like it's a there's dicey. G- there's got to be some hidden speakeasy somewhere. There is that. That's actually a whole other story. But that's over more towards like Moab. Yeah, uh, there's we found yeah, a speakeasy yeah, yeah. in Moab. Uh, actually, Monticello. I'm sure you know where that is, Skyler. It's a uh, little town. <laughs> Have you been to that speakeasy? Small you know what town. I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. In the yeah, in the yeah. grain bin. It's in an old grain <laughs> bin. And the lady like yeah. was kind of like reluctant to show us because we were out of town. She's like, "You guys aren't going to tell anybody about this, are you?" Like, it's it's like being in prohibition, but in 2023. Yeah, big time, dude. <laughs> it's so funny, lady. There's people oh, out gosh. here smoking crack. <laughs> can I can I get a beer, please? <laughs> awesome state, though. Definitely, definitely don't want to. You know, you can if you need to bring your beer with you or whatever it is. Do it. Awesome state. Um, so cool. So much. So much fun stuff to do and ride there. And uh, yeah, I've got a, a fun, I got a fun fact that I I feel like the listeners need to find out about Skyler here. Um, mm. We've got a pilot. He, he sounds nervous. Of, of he sounds here. nervous. He's he's not I, sure what you're about to say. Oh. <laughs> no, now I know where he's going. Yeah, yeah. So let's 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 hear about uh, what you do on the side here. What you do for fun? I know you like to get high, get up in the <laughs> air, figuratively. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I'm a hot air balloon pilot, which is not. A normal thing, no, <laughs> I guess. Not wait. At all. You're the only hot air balloon pilot that I've ever met. Wait, 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 wait. This is a real thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, legitimately. Like you, uh, you have to like. There's a, cert- <laughs> there's a certification and a process for this. Wait, do you fly that with a compass as well? Is that why you're so good at the car? <laughs> no, do you? Uh, well, this is the funny thing, actually. Is, yeah. To go back on that, yeah, you have to pass all the same, like, tests as you would as, like, a fixed wing, like an airplane uh, pilot, but you just take a different uh, uh, check ride and stuff like that. Like, all you have to do is fly the balloon. You don't have to also fly a plane. But the balloon, you can't steer a balloon. There's no steering wheel or anything in there. So you're like, oh, I want to go to that field over there. You can't push yourself over there. All you can do is go up and down with with some fire. And... So you're making a lot of decisions a lot of times because you're trying to read an invisible thing, the wind. So at different altitudes, you have a different wind direction. And sometimes you have to remember that. Hopefully it's the same if you go back up. So essentially you have a plan. We're going to launch here. I want to fly that direction and, you know, land in an open area to where you can deflate the balloon. But yeah, the whole process, you could be coming perfectly you know, you have to split two houses and land in a cul-de-sac or like on a neighborhood street or something like that. And you're coming in perfectly and all of a sudden the wind changes and pushes you away from that. So then you got to make another decision whether or not to go back up, try to find a different landing spot, try to, you know, do all this kind of stuff. Then you have a certain amount of fuel that you have on board, like 
It's oh, a lot of thinking, shit. and I, it's sick. Yeah, Dude, it's I sick. I like think it a about lot. That. How do we keep this flame going? <laughs> it sounds super yeah. sketchy. I'm not gonna lie. Ah, uh, nah, adventurous like, but sketchy. I mean, if you think about what it takes to fly a helicopter, you'd be more scared of flying a helicopter than yeah, you would a balloon. I'm, I'm, There's only. I'm not into helicopters. You basically, ha- <laughs> you basically have a a. a a barbecue above your head. Yeah. Like that's the only tech technology that you have. So you got propane and a fire and a, a giant parachute over your, your head that you're trying to just float around in a bubble. So it's not really like super exciting, like death defying. It's just as a pilot, it's pretty cool. Cause you, you know, it just takes in a lot of brain power and stuff. So I, I don't know. I like it for yeah, that reason. It would for sure be hard. Obviously you've got, you, you, you can't, account for anything going right you got to account for everything possibly going wrong you know exactly yeah mother nature changes so much the wind's gonna go wherever it wants to blow um obviously you got to make sure the old girl's full of propane (laughs) every time i go to start the grill i forget i yeah you i I can't tell you right there i'd be i'd be done skylar (laughs) caleb gave up on gas grills because he can't remember to get them filled so he cooks with charcoal now so he would, and this is a true story. He, well, okay, he actually cooks with charcoal because he prefers the taste, but he does always have an empty gas grill bottle. So he would be a horrible hot air balloon pilot. Awful. <laughs> Hell, half the time my camper's out of propane too. I, I feel like I feel like BK would be a good hot air balloon. Yeah, pilot. he would be. He's because he's, he's got that inner out. zen. Like, do you, when you get up there, like, I, I guess this is a stupid question since you're you have your hot air balloon pilot's license. How often do you, like, do you get up fairly often? Uh, these days, not really. Like, I don't know, especially like in the summertime here is so hot. You can't fly the balloon cause it has to be like 250 degrees hotter than the outside temperature. <clears throat> so it's bad for the equipment to fly in the summer, which is my only downtime. So the best time to fly is when I'm racing the most. So I don't really fly that much these days, but yeah, when you do get up, I don't know, it's hard to explain because a lot of people will think like, oh, flying a balloon, that sounds so gnarly. It's, you're floating around in the sky in a bubble. Like, you're not, it's not really like this crazy thing that you're doing. I, I would but imagine it's pretty it serene, though. Like it, it, Yeah, it's super nice. It's really peaceful. How much does a hot air balloon cost? Ballpark me. Uh, <clears throat> well, Piece of shit. Ripped. Yeah, can I get can I get like a Craigslist version? How much is that? Yeah, big time. So you can get a. It has to be. It has to pass an inspection. So the same as a no, regular airplane, you have ripped. to pass an, an inspection. <laughs> no, it can't be ripped. But you can get like a used balloon that doesn't really fly super efficiently. Like the the fabric becomes kind of porous. But you could get full, complete, like back a truck up, pull out a trailer with a balloon in it, everything you need for probably like nine grand, 10 grand. Oh probably. shit. They're pretty expensive. Though. How much did you think oh, it was going to be? It's a hot air balloon. I was thinking like 35, 40 grand. <laughs> when you said Craigslist, yeah, I was pr- thinking like, I don't know, two, 3,000 bucks. I don't I'm not flying in a two. I'm not flying in anything that costs $2,000. <laughs> you have no yeah, self like sure. worth. <laughs> uh, no, if you wanted to buy a brand new balloon, it'd be like 50, 60 grand. <sighs> But they they'll last you forever. My dad's my dad's also a pilot. He's had his balloon for like fifteen years probably, and it's still golden. So this was a family thing. This is how you got into it. That's how my parents met. Is flying balloons actually? Really? 
That's it's yeah. such an like hey, it's such honey. an enigma to me. Like growing up, you see these balloon festivals. <laughs> never knew anything. Air with me, yeah. <laughs> hey, babe, you want to float? <laughs> we'll float over here. Yeah. And we'll now, now Scott, this is the first time you and I have spoken. The mustache makes way more sense now. Like it, I, <laughs> I feel like it. It really embodies your personality, like to in your mindset. Like, yeah, like you just you seem like you're just a chill dude that is super gnarly on a dirt bike. <laughs> I, well, my history, like the reason why behind the mustache, my grandpa built this famous race car. Steve McQueen bought it and raced it and he built and drove it. And he was like, there's this picture of him sitting in the race car with his helmet and his race goggles on. He's got this big curly mustache sticking out of it. And that was kind of his thing too. All the Mexicans down in Baja and everything would, would call him the Frito Bandito because at that time the Frito Lay guy had like the big mustache and stuff. So he was kind of known for his mustache. My dad has always had a mustache. I figured it's about time. Start it. What about kind of products do you use on yeah. that thing? <laughs> Dude, I got this thing trained. It's like got a natural curl to it. So all curl during the whole back car, there's nothing in it. It's just natural. Any Anybody who's wondering what we're talking about right now, please just go Google <laughs> Anywhere you can, just type in Skylar House, the mustache will pop up. I mean, that thing is, it is a specimen. And, I, and I'm, like, jealous because if mine at this point would be all gray if I did that. <laughs> the, the cool thing is, is uh, a couple of the guys, like Pablo Quintanilla, he had a mustache out there and stuff. And they're like, oh, how long you been growing that? I was like, oh, I started growing it at, like, Halloween. They're like, what? <laughs> We've had, we would have to grow a mustache for four years to get that girl like this yeah. thing just come out. Came in all. Yeah, my, my beard and my, my face hair just comes in all white trashy. It, you you got Joe so. Dirt over here. <laughs> Skippy. Yeah, it's not, it's not looking good for me. We're, it's whatever, though. I'm not. I mean, I would, yeah. I would like to have a nice full beard and just grow it out whenever I wanted, but... I hate it. I get itchy when I do it. I'm I zip, pretty it, I zip yeah. it up and I get it snagged on like my uh, zipper here and it, it kind of pulls it. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah, helmets and beards don't really work well together, but the mustache like stays at high speeds also goes... No, nah, it goes into my mouth. It gets a little gets kind of a pain in the ass. I was going to say, it's probably pretty arrow. You know, <laughs> how, how many no, other, the, some, some of the, go ahead. So, some of the mechanics could tell how, uh, how fast the day was by how pressed the mustache was against my face at the end of the day. You were speeding, weren't you today, Skylar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Skylar, we've, uh, we've had you on here long enough. We'll let you get back to it. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. It was a great, great to talk with you. Congratulations on Dakar. Um, hopefully the rest of the season is well to you. Re real quick on that. What events do you have coming up, Skylar? How, how can we follow along? What, what's next? What's still on the schedule? What's coming up? So we don't really get too long of a break considering how massive these events are. Uh, you know, you consider regular races like one a month would be a huge break, but, um, yeah, these were racing for weeks at a time. So, uh, the next race is already uh, just in a couple weeks. We I leave like on the 19th of February to go to Abu Dhabi, which is essentially the exact same desert we were just racing in in the empty quarter in, in Dakar, just, you know, like 50 miles away. So we'll be back there for the Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge uh, here in a few weeks. 
And then just less than a month after that, we're going to the Sonora Rally in Mexico, which is kind of like the hometown race. That's where I got started in rally. So I'm really pumped that that one's a world round this year. And there's actually been speak going all the way back and speaking about, you know, getting more people. There's been a ton of interest, especially in like side by sides and some other stuff uh, for the Sonora Rally. So that's another key feature to hopefully grow in the sport a bit. Um, and then after that, another place I'm really excited to go back to is South America. We're going to Argentina for the Route to 40, which is uh, an important race also because uh, Kurt Caselli won that. So um, I'm really excited to go back to that uh, to that area and racing that uh, back in South America because the fans are incredible down there. And it's also, you know, an important race for an American to win. So hopefully we go back, go down and do good in that. And then in October, 1st of October is Morocco. So uh, back to there and then back to Dakar again next January. So a lot of racing coming up. We'll be following along for sure. And yeah, for sure. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Thanks for giving us an education as well as our listeners <laughs> to just what it is you do, who you are. And uh, man, it's uh, like I said, it's booming here in the States. People are starting to pay attention to it more and more. And I think the more success and, and the more joy you just put out there of, of how much fun you're having, it it makes us all want to come along for the ride. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. That's what dirt bikes are about. Yeah. Having have, fun. Having fun. That's why we all started, right? <clears throat> yep. Anyways, great to have you cool. on, Skyler. Uh, good luck and everything coming up. Hopefully we can have you back on and uh, talk about uh, winning this rally championship. How about that? Yeah, sounds good. Sounds like a deal to me. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate yeah, yeah. you. Have a good one. See you later, buddy. Cool. See ya. All right, guys, that was Skyler Howes. Great conversation. Huh? It was cool. He, he has a lot to say, man. A lot of knowledge. Like, it's... Uh, we... we you know, we talk about how there's like a common path, you know, when, when someone is an amateur racer kind of comes up, whether it be through off-road or moto or whatever it may be, you know, for him, like he just made like a right turn midway through his career, like, you know, racing desert. And all of a sudden, for those that don't understand, I mean, hopefully you do after listening to him, like this isn't just desert racing. This is something completely different and uh, cool to see him have success. Yeah, it seems very, and he was you know, alluding to how to get more people involved and and see this as something attainable to actually race and ride, which could be very difficult because, like I said, that's obviously, you know, dirt bikes and racing motorsports in general, very expensive. Um, Dakar, rally bikes, whole nother level. So many of us have talked about it before. Like, it's relatively easy for someone to get into stick and ball sports, you know, your, your school, there's organizations locally within your community, you know, motorcycle, ATV racing, power sports in general, completely different. Like you almost have to have a family tie, someone to get you in. It's expensive. There's a lot of equipment necessary. You have to travel. I mean, Dakar, like you said, uh, I, I don't even think that he really got into just what a logistical undertaking racing Dakar is. I mean, it, the, if you're not on a factory team, the fundraising that has to go on, I mean, it, you're, you're talking, I, I don't, I don't want to scare people away, but I mean, you're, you're probably talking more than a hundred thousand dollars for sell one the, individual to go race that race. Sell the house. Exactly. For one race. It's crazy. Sell the house, pimp the wife. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. 
Uh, anyways, we're going to take a, uh, a quick break. We'll be right back and uh, wrap up the show here. We've got, Wait, we gotta, we've got plenty, of, plenty yeah. to talk about. We've got, we got to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back, right back in action. Welcome back, guys. We are here sitting on our comfy couch. My recliner. We just got off the phone with Skylar Howes. Great conversation. We enjoyed it. Learned a lot about the car, rally bikes. Interesting stuff. It's wild. A lot of different formats you can race in. Oh, yeah. Dirt bikes, man. Yeah, definitely crazy to hear him, too, say, you know, some days he's trying not to win. Yeah, that's... that's, (laughs) Hard to fathom when you're yeah, it doesn't make a sense. racer and yeah. you know you think all all that you gotta do is win. All you're all you're trying to do is win. You young kids listening out there, it's not all about winning. Not Some, all the time. Sometimes depends on what you're doing. Sometimes to win, you have to finish fifth. Certain aspects yes. is basically is basically what he was getting at. Yeah, I mean, you got to take your fifths. You got you're gonna have to take your licks and beatings. You know, it's kind of like. Going to grade school. I know half these kids don't go to school anymore, but you know, sometimes maybe we should do a podcast about that. Sometimes would we just, ruffle some feathers with the homeschooling thing? Honestly, I'm I don't I don't know if I have a stance here or there for it because I can if if you're gonna be homeschooled just to to ride a dirt bike because you think you're gonna make a living at it one day, I think that's the wrong attitude. Um, me personally, but I think too uh, I know school is not what it once was and what they teach and the literature that's in these books and how kids are being raised and brought up through school. I think that's a real problem. I think that would ruffle feathers for sure. Yeah. I, I think I, both topics would, but it's not something I want to dive into. Yeah. Maybe and, some uh, other day. Yeah. What should we dive into? Let's. There's some racing going on around the country right now. There is. We talked a little bit about the work trace. This is Saturday, January 28th. You will hear this Monday afternoon. By then, the, the Sprint Enduro will be over. U.S. Sprint Enduro round one. First day was south, today. South of the border. Maybe we should, maybe, obviously, we, we had this scheduled around Skylar being available to be on the show. But uh, obviously, when the season comes on, we're going to try to work around, like, the end of the weekend or you know, leading into the weekend. But uh, we, we wanted to have Skylar committed to us last week and said he could do it. So we made it happen. But we, we've got round one, south of the border, U.S. Sprint Enduro results. Six six tests done after day one. Yep. Our statistician has all the all the stats available. I had the stats. I had the stats. He's, he's let them go. You know who won. Hey, it was, it was interesting. Good was, racing. Yeah. By this time, everybody's seeing this. They're, they're, they're going to know who's yeah, won. So and when we, we don't know who's won yet. We know who's won. What's happened at day one? A lot we of guys. Know what's w- going to unfold at day two. But it was interesting. A lot of guys threw their hat in the ring today. Oh, yeah. It it's was good, to see, good pro to see two. the Pro 2 guys. Yeah, yeah. Pro 2 came out swinging Which first couple tests. Yeah, they seem to do that. Angus Riordan. Yeah, yeah. He won, yeah. The, he won the works race in the Pro 2 out there. Yeah. Got it. Hopped Riding the plane. Fast. Flew back. Going fast. Cody Barnes was up there. Rui, Rui was up there. I think, um, obviously, it's the first race. Everybody's hungry, ready to go. Nobody knows, has a, an established pecking order, so to speak, just yet. Uh, 
there's a lot of guys that throw their hat in the ring and shoot. How many tests did Johnny end up winning? One. Won the day. Yeah. And pulled what, it out in the last seconds, test. Pulled it out in the last yeah. test. One by he, seven he, seconds. But I think he only won one test. Yeah. He uh he was he was he fast, was pretty consistent. Trailing lane going in going into the last test. By less what was that? Less it wasn't even a thousandth. Yeah, I think it was a thousandth. A couple thousand. Within the same second. So Yeah, less than a tenth for sure different. Yeah. They were they were super close. And obviously right behind them, uh Josh Toth also right there. Yeah, uh, Thad, Thad made a good push at the end of the day. He did. He looked. He looked much better. Times were much more, much improved. Yeah, much improved. Looks like slow start. Looked slow like there were some struggles there in the beginning of the day. I don't know if it wasn't uh, warmed up, not firing all, all cylinders there, but uh, definitely not. You don't. You you can't put yourself at a deficit in a sprint and drill. What they the total race time was forty minutes, which is. I mean, that's honestly that was that's probably one of the longer sprint enduros. I'd I'd have to say it's it's usually right there from what I want to say thirty five to forty minutes, forty minutes being on the high higher standard. Yeah, with the six tests, I mean, they usually the cross tests are usually a little shorter. Today's cross tests seem long. It was six something, six fifties were the fast fastest. Yeah, they seemed. I think both tests by the end were equivalent as as far as in time. It yeah, seems. six six twenties for the cross, you know, six forties for for the enduro. They yeah. they chip away a lot of time, you know, from test one to test five or test three. Obviously, just learning the track and getting. Speaking the lines of chipping in. away time, Zacho came on strong towards the end of the day. Looked good. Some enduro test wins. Yeah, that's. I didn't impressive. expect that when I saw the good cross test time. I was like, yeah, like, makes kind, sense. Kind of expected that, but I wonder how much of that do you guys think is. Obviously, when you do that same cross test, or I'm sorry, that same enduro test three times, and you've probably cycled it a time or two, obviously, everybody's test times are coming down, but what people may not understand is typically not lines developing, right? Like, in terms of different lines, it's more just the track gets beat in, and you know where you're at. Yeah. And, too, uh, south of the border has a little bit of sand in the, uh, in you know, it's a sandy base. I typically think, or over the years, for me, we we started out at HRD, and you could see the most improvement on times from first test to the final test because that line gets built up, the berms get built up. You can carry more speed, more mo- momentum uh, compared to like if say you were somewhere up north. Usually, the the times don't vary quite as much. They're obviously, I think anywhere from like fifteen to uh, twenty seconds is possible but you know they pretty much shaved off 15 seconds in the second test you know and then it was almost 40 by the last test from what it looks like so that's a that's a big variation but like i said that's the track breaking down becoming faster you're you're aware of everything that you're hitting what you're touching um it sucks you can't just go out obviously these guys cycle the tracks they know them very well uh they could do every corner in their head probably but you go out and you don't know what it's going to feel like. So you don't know how to push it. So end of day one, eight guys separated by 40 some odd seconds. Um, and you've got basically four, five, six guys all the way back to Angus Riordan. So your top six overall uh, separated by about 30 seconds. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty crazy, um, yeah, crazy amount of, 
gap there. Uh, it, we typically don't see crazy that crazy as in pretty well, close. For, I, in I my opinion, yes, because I don't think we've seen in either the U.S. The top, or the full the, gas. I think the top three is super close. Yeah, me. but but in recent years, you know, there's what do we? I think it was uh, was it three hundred and three hundred and forty entries, give or take. We haven't seen this many heavy hitters lining up for one of these series in in a while, even for like round one. I mean, like I said, you got eight eight guys that are all like kind of top tier guys there battling it out. It's uh it's definitely cool to see a lot of a lot of battles, a lot of close battles. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. Um it's exciting. Obviously, we know uh and two there's only there's only five guys in the official pro class, pro 1, if if that's what they call it, pro 1. Um so five guys and they don't go 1 through 5 OA. Yeah. Well, one one through four end up being pro one, and then uh, Thad in in eighth. But again, coming on strong at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, your pro two guys, uh, Cody Barnes ends up winning the day in pro two. Angus Riordan second, Rui Barbosa third. That is your uh, fifth, sixth, and seventh overall by the end of the day. Yeah, it's going to be close. I think the racing all year is going to be very, very close in the sprint and the rows. It always is. Uh, be, be curious to see. I know Johnny has a little bit of a elbow injury going on, um, a slight issue. And I, I do feel like that may have held him back a touch, but, uh, nonetheless, Zacho stepped it up. Lane stepped it up. Toth was a surprise. I feel like, but it's the beginning of the season, new bike, new sponsors. Everybody's hungry. Everybody wants to come out, be the next dude. And for Toth, he's got the number one. Yeah. It's the first time that he's raced with that since he battled this guy right here in the uh, XC2 championship a few years back in GNCC. Yes, yeah, good to see. Good to see it on his bike, if not mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, Josh on a new ride on that gas gas. Um, first, I guess, well, he did the uh, Dominican Republic hard enduro thing, but this is the first stateside like official race of his 2023 calendar. Uh, Lane Michael, first race aboard the the gas gas for him. Uh, again, really close with Johnny right down to the end of the day, and Josh there as well. Like you can't you can't say that it was anyone was closer than the other. I mean, we're talking fractions of a second separating these guys. Yeah, they all went back and forth test times. It's uh, it'd be it would have been interesting to be there and actually see. Obviously, all we can look at is look at the times and kind of assume. Uh, we don't really know how it's playing out. But I'm sure there were some tip overs and some good tests and some mistakes. But um, I would like to, to to figure out why Zach was so far off that first enduro test. Uh, I think Ben might have some input on that. He would have had to have opened it up for sure. So I don't know if maybe he he posted just through social media. He posted that you know a few turns from the finish. He said he got stuck in the mud. Oh, stuck so in the mud. Learning the off road ways, it'll get you. But wow. I, I, Caleb, I don't know if you've That's seen... That's tough. Stuck in the mud on well, the I don't first know if you've seen any of the videos. Room. He had to have been off the track. I don't know if you've seen any of the videos. It looks pretty wet. Like, the guys look super clean, but I, I saw Lane posted a couple videos, and they're, like, wheeling, like, water holes splashing, like, six, eight foot in the air. So there must have they must have gotten a lot of rain up there. It must be muddy. Yeah, I know up in the, the area has been... The, the entire area in the, the southeast has been wet this year. Um, but, yeah, stuck in a sprint enduro. Man, that's wild. Especially first test, test one stuck. Yeah, put that's, himself. That's unlikely. 
put himself in a hole and, and he, obviously literally and figuratively and and clawed back the rest of the day that's um yeah obviously the off-road side is going to be a, a steep learning curve on some aspects you're going to have to figure out very quickly like what to look for what to avoid and you know minimize those mistakes as far as putting yourself upside down uh unnecessarily uh i, th I think that's what catches a lot of guys uh, coming from that side of things over to the off-road world off guard is just all the different terrain you have to deal with in one short lap. You know, it could be dry, dusty, hard pack, perfect dirt, and then a shithole all in the same 30 minutes. It's uh, it's, it's, it's definitely wild when you break it down like that. It's wild to think so. And, and the kind of the, the, the backbone of sprint enduro is the word sprint. Like you're reading all that terrain at full go. Cause you know, every fraction of a second counts. Yep. Um, I checked in a little bit on the, uh, uh, women's pro class today, Corey Steed putting in a clinic, just basically laying it down. She was, uh, top 20 on some tests, uh, again with 340 racers and quite a few pro one pro two pro am guys there. That was super impressive. Hurting boys' feelings. She's just definitely hurting <laughs> the boys' feelings, I would say. I I, th I think the women um, have gathered enough momentum and acknowledgement that some guys have just accepted it now. Um, yeah. It's, it's I can, equal opportunity in, in racing now. I can, <laughs> so tell, I can tell you right now that when I race at GNCC, I'm going to get lapped, like, by the girls. It's yeah. going to happen. Yeah, for sure you would. <laughs> You say it like it's a bad thing. Like, dude, they're fast. I know they're fast. You're just really slow on a dirt bike. Oh, my. You don't even know. You've never even seen me ride a dirt bike. I've, hey. I've saw. I've seen you ride a dirt bike. When? Where'd you see me ride a dirt bike? Six days. On a road? Yeah. You can't even keep up with me on the highway. Whatever, dude. I, <laughs> I, I seem to remember chasing you down because you zoned out and you were like heading into a random town, not where you were supposed to be going. It's funny because Caleb's dad's done that for me in the past. Yeah. He's like, hey, the exit was back there. Yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. That's, I mean, that's six days right there. Yeah, you'll have that. I got my practice now, dude. I own a dirt bike and I put some time on it yesterday. You're in trouble. trouble. I'm coming for you. After he rides, you won't be able to walk for a week, but. No, the dirt bike, that's the thing that's great about the dirt bike. Like, it's not at all any wear and tear on my body compared to the quad. Easy to ride, right? No, they're difficult to go fast on, but they're not as physically demanding to ride for sure. You that's can you can miss the holes a little more, you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and let me be very clear. The pace I'm going at, they're relatively easy to ride, which is not fast. Like it was fast for me, but we were on a trail ride, man. It was we're in St. George, Utah. We talked about it at Skyler a little bit ago. The views, like you can't look at the trail, you're too busy looking at the snow capped mountains and the valleys and yeah, it's like a it's like a scenic trail ride. Trying not to ride off a cliff. I almost did. They got a little everything out there. I got I got whiskey on a ridge line and just about super launched my brand new Yamaha off a cliff. Yeah, so we had some uh great sprint neuro racing. Obviously, we are going to watch that unfold tomorrow, January 29th on Sunday. Yeah, I'm gonna be glued. I was glued all day today. Yeah, I was it seemed like it was really long. They, they were delayed a little bit. It seemed like I don't know if you, how you guys felt this way because we weren't all watching it together. Was, we had our like own 11, projects. Eleven but, to past four. Well, yeah, but it seemed like the first couple tests took like forever for them to get in, 
and then they kind of got in their rhythm and they seemed like they just clicked off the next couple, at least to me watching the, watching the times. Yeah. And, and like I said, not, Oh, we're, by the way, we're watching, watching Supercross. Supercross. We got chaos going on. LCQ. The so 450 LCQ. Taken. And this is qualifying. LCQ. Yeah, this is, yeah, this isn't even the LCQ to get to the main. This is just the LCQ to get to the night program. Guys well, it's, are just it's triple crown, so oh, it's the LCQ. This is the actual LCQ, so we should probably watch this. <laughs> They'll show highlights. That's why they were the 250 guys were going so hard. They'll show highlights of it this. Makes sense now. Who is that out front? Mr. Three Digit, two, 219. 219. I, don't, I don't know who it is. Ben, our statistician's looking it up. He's going to find ben it Kelly. out. Nah, I wouldn't know that. What what other racing do we have coming up? We got Supercross on the screen. We had Supercross Sprint Enduro today. Sprint Enduro today. Sprint Enduro tomorrow. Yep. We will uh we'll see. I'm curious to see if Zach can come back and win this thing, man. I mean, he's his he's, last his he's last close cross, enough. Well, it for sure he is. He he put himself right back in it with some crazy fast cross test. Options. I don't know though, man. Johnny Even, laid it down on that last Enduro test. Yeah, he yeah, separated but he a bit. Yeah, but he didn't really separate from Zach. He separated time. from everyone. Overall time, but not in the test, correct? Yeah, I think he beat Zach by three seconds in the last Enduro yeah. test. Yeah. And that, but Zach, that was the other one that was right there. Yeah, he, he was up too. there and close. like four seconds back, yep. yep. But the final cross test, Zach went like seven seconds faster than everybody. I did see that. That's gnarly. That's, that's bringing out that pro moto speed right yeah, there. For sure. Everybody, and obviously. Are they using the, the moto SOB, track? I'm sure they're using parts of it, and it's mostly obviously open, open for it. <laughs> And two, being sandy and sandy conditions, it's going to bump up and rut up and berm up like a motocross track, even like the grass track stuff. So the times you're going to have that, that spot, those spots where you can like push the track a little bit harder. And he's obviously more comfortable with the, the way that the track is most likely setting up. If I could envision it like it, how HRD sets up, I'm assuming it's typically, or it's, it's similar to that um but yeah seven seconds in the the cross test cross test is a substantial amount of time to gain one of the one of the coolest things usually pretty straightforward one of the coolest things i think i've ever seen in a dirt bike race was at six days in 2019 uh zach bell another former you know supercross motocross guy uh in that sand final moto i don't know caleb i don't know if you were or, no, I'm there? sorry, it wasn't Portugal 2019. This would have been 2018 no, Chile. Chile. My bad. Yep. Um, yeah, so you weren't there, but watching that, BK, you were there. Yeah, I was there. Did yep. you get to watch that motor? Were you in it? No, no, I, was, uh, I wasn't I was in it. So, yeah, I watched. He was E3 class. I was E2. He was on that KTM, or I'm sorry, Husky 300. 300 two-stroke. Yep. And it was one of the, bringing back to your point of, of a guy with, like, intense moto skills like that on a moto track. I mean, these are the best, you know, the best guys in the world. He made him look stupid. Like I, I've never seen anything like it. The way he was just throwing it into the berms and letting that thing eat. So yeah, you could imagine that's probably what Zacho did that last uh, last uh, cross test there. And just imagine if he was on like a moto bike and a cross test that bumped up like a moto track. It'd probably be more like twelve. Yeah, and six six and a half minutes. So <clears throat> you got to think six and a half minutes is basically two laps around any motocross track. And I don't think there's I know even like when I was riding moto, like I was four seconds off easily, like at the top of my game riding moto per lap. So, yep, put him, if he's seven seconds on an off-road bike, if you were to put him on a moto bike in a good condition, like cross test, he'd probably, it'd be more like 12, 15. Yeah, that's crazy. Cross test would be good. And then you put Joe Sepp on his, 
enduro bike on a flat ass baked out piece turn, of shit. Yeah, turn track. And nobody even sees him. Yeah. He goes so fast. <laughs> I, well, this isn't what we're talking about, but I did start to notice. Uh, I follow a lot of the Euro guys now, World Enduro guys. Starting to see a lot more guys starting to try to apply Joseph's style. I don't know if you guys have picked up on it, but the way he like sits on the gas cap, um, more guys I follow, uh, Thomas Holdrati, guys like that. You see him practicing in the offseason, their season coming up. And, you know, it's, I guess it's learning the craft, man. Johnny, that's, that's what happens with evolution. You see this, this is not, this is nothing new. The Bubba Scrub. Exactly. I mean, there's, there's, you can point to anything in life. In business, strategy, and racing, craft, um, yeah, people see what's going on, what makes you better, how to succeed. They pick up on it, they implement it, and they slowly chip away. That's how people catch up. That's how businesses catch up, and it's called evolution. It's natural way of life. Um, obviously, it's very difficult to achieve that high level. What do you over, mean? You can't just watch time, a YouTube video? Over time, people catch up. And we are seeing that. And I and I do feel like in GNCC over the next the course of the next 10 years, I think we're going to see more guys going faster than ever and picking up the pace yet again. I think it's I I I think it's pretty pretty easily achievable to start going faster because now guys all the guys are training. They're all getting they're all kind of close to that same level but there's a, a young crop of kids in the next few years that are going to come in that are already at that level in speed they're going to get more fit they're going to get faster as they age it's going to be interesting to watch this all develop over time watch the evolution watch the sport grow so so what will be the next evolution in national enduro since you obviously have the Baylors, you know running over trees and winning the lion's share of the championships here recently are we going to see guys start riding more like them and just making straight lines running over trees or honestly we, we've got a race next weekend we, we have PG a national next weekend. enduro next week i don't, and we, I don't know we have a defending it's champion coming back for, on a new team and a new brand that still four weeks after we started talking about it no one's really talking about it and this man this is very strange and sort of mind-boggling if you hire a guy as a t who, who's the team manager over here, who 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 hired this guy and signed him on and put him on this team, and doesn't let the public know? Like, what is the deal with this? I, I, I am so confused. I'm not going that direct to it. I'm just saying I'm I'm yeah I'm confused. Like, is, is whoever he... it is, they should be fired. Chop them. I I mean really I mean why why the only reason to hire guys? This is all about marketing. This is a marketing sport. Uh, uh, maybe they're you going market for the, your product. They're going for the shock factor. They want him just to show up, win round one on a Kawi, and then people I, I be like, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe they're they're listen, man. We're over here playing checkers, and they're playing chess. Okay, maybe, maybe could we, happen. We've got confirmation. Grant Baylor to a yeah. Kawi. Babbitt's Kawi team. A week ago, Josh Strang confirmed it for us. Nothing from Kawi. Nothing from Babbitt's. Nothing from Josh or nothing from nothing from Grant. Grant. Yeah. I mean, hell, fire him from not posting about riding right. his we're, new bike. We don't I mean, we're, we're not talking about on? firing anybody. Is he not allowed to? We're not talking not about allowed? firing anybody. Why we're would just, you not want to post? Hey, I got this new ride. I'm confused. I I'm I'm, I'm confused, but we're not firing anybody. That's not our place. I'm I'm over exaggerating. <laughs> I'm making for good TV, good conversation. 
BK, who are you firing? Nobody. But does it not make sense? Yeah, I mean, uh, people get on me for not posting enough, and I feel like, I mean, I feel like... People know what fucking <laughs> bike know, you're riding, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Beep. Golly. We shall see. Come round one. I mean... maybe. Hey, we're talking about it now, so yeah, we it's are. working. The dude Whatever is Whatever they're doing. He has a number one plate yep. on a motorcycle that he is going to race, and hasn't nobody said a damn thing about it. We need a little bit of hype. We're hype, we're it. the hype men. Whew. We're the we're the Grant Baylor hype men. I think yeah, it's just crazy. But we'll see how it plays out. Maybe he'll come out, and crush everybody at the NEPG, and then everybody. I, would, will be like, I mean, hey. you, you. I wouldn't expect it. I, I, I'm not going to be shocked. He's going letting the results speak for him, kind of way. Maybe he's not taking Tyler Lindsay's Lynn. Uh, I said that right. I, I have a feeling that maybe, Tyler, maybe. Tyler Lynn is going to be reaching out to the inside line. Tyler, if if somebody forwards you this and this clip makes it to the YouTube or the Instagram, and uh, this isn't to talk bad, we're just saying. Yeah, I hope I hope there you is, gave us some good shit to talk about. I Thank hope you. there is some audio to what I heard live on the PA system recorded. Um, again, I'm not putting words in your mouth. From my perspective, it just seemed. Uh, the exuberance went to the point of aggressive. Um, but again, I'm a passive person. So, you know, maybe, maybe it just seemed that way to me, but I'd, I'd love to have you on hear your side of it. Maybe you're just that excited. Didn't think about it. Do you regret it after having said it or are you good with it? Or do you just don't even feel it was aggressive at all? Depends, depends on the person. Yeah. I'm curious. B BK. We shall see. I mean, if he backs it up, hell, you can do it. Do whatever you want. So Say whatever you, you want if you back it up. So this cool. we're gonna, we're gonna put this one on, and in, in case it comes off too aggressive, we can always delete it. But if you know you show up and you win next weekend, is it next weekend, Sumter? Next yeah, weekend next at weekend Sumter. at Sumter, you run the table. When what is it? Six tests typically. Yeah. Yeah. So six tests. Six tests. You win all six. You win the day. Is your post race interview like? This is what I've been training for. I, I came here to stomp these guys. I did that. I did exactly that. They can't handle my stuff. I'm the great. I'm the greatest to ever live. Is that your? No. Or does no. BK just? Do you go the corporate route? And you're like, I'd like to thank Red Bull, FMF, KTM. You know, it's been a great, great prep. It's great to be back racing. You know, hope to do this again soon. Love you, mom. Nah, I wouldn't say either. I want to say I go maybe the corporate route. Maybe it makes the corporate happy because I'm. I don't say a whole lot, but. No, in my head, I might be thinking, yeah, I'm going to go out here, and if I can crush these guys, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to hurt their feelings. I might be thinking that, but I'll never say it. I'll just finish and shrug my shoulders and give a thumbs up. But See, I think every I racer think, kind of, you may think I think that's the first time I've things. ever even heard you like acknowledge that that thought would go through your mind. Well, why why wouldn't you if you're out there riding within your means and and you're pulling away from guys in any race or whatever, and you're like, oh, I have the opportunity to, to win by multiple minutes. And I can do it without, you know, not saying you're not working hard, but doing it within riding within your means. Why wouldn't you do that? Florida 2022. Look, look, look like he <laughs> look like he literally came off the track after a parade lap and everybody else just raced three hours. No, like, that was surprising to me. I was ex I was like pacing myself a little expecting to die and it just never happened. So maybe that's good on my trainers. Some people know what they're doing. I, I think it's because you were excited about the post-race margaritas. Could have been. <clears throat> we shall see what happens this year. Coming up. It's a couple weeks away. 
couple yeah. weeks out. Yeah, we'll, we're we're going to dive into GNTC. We 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 got, got plans. Ex- we got we got plans. We want to do. See, this, we're going to see this what setup happens. right here. We're going to take it to the races. This, this is mobile. It's mobile. See, this is we got boxes for all this shit. We just throw it in, set it up totes. wherever we want. Totes. And we don't have any totes. We have cardboard boxes. Ah, we're going to get some totes. Literally, the shit that I saw there on sale. One more sponsor. What? That's <laughs> what you need. Hey, we we did we we could use some more. I mean. All this, obviously, they see these mics and yeah, this there's, little thing. There's here. a lot of stuff out there. This there's shit some, ain't cheap. There's some TikTok <laughs> ring lights out there especially, to make us look Especially good. for two guys sitting on a couch that have zero ambition and goals about this. We're just sitting here talking shit. Yeah, we're just three guys. We're, well, we've three officially guys decided. I'll be ben, checking out soon. No, Ben is once officially. I, once a, I have to race, out of here. Oh, come on. Yeah. Saying, business, man. All Back right. To business. I concur. I, I think that's good. We like having Ben on because he's he does good. He adds a little bit of flavor to it. He doesn't. He can talk well with others. He plays well with he others. Plays obviously. People come looking Very for a fight and they end up like Ben ends up yeah. talking them off a ledge and they're, they're just they're buddies when it's over. Not a fighter. Fighter flight instinct. It's just, it's flight. Just I'm, a I'm, flight. I'm going. He's <laughs> out of there. He's like, oh, you want to fight? I'm gonna win by three minutes. I'm out of here. Nah, it's all good. It's been fun being on for sure, and yeah, maybe uh, we'll have you back later in the year. We'll have you back. You can come back and talk about the racing. Yeah, we're we're just we're just using the resources that we have readily available. <laughs> Honestly, I just so happened to be within reach. <laughs> you, you he was actually here. what happened. I'm was trying we to were get setting out of here, up the studio. Set, so we're setting up the studio. And Ben was sitting where couch. right where he is right now. We're like, hey, we're just gonna put a microphone in front. Of you. He's like, no, I'm just gonna move over there. We're like, nah, we yeah. got three mics set up, bud. You're here. He's trying to run. It's dinner time now. We got Supercross coming up. Everybody tune in. Yeah, getting some battles going on. Yeah, shit. It's been two hours. We still haven't fixed dinner. Yeah, dinner we're, time. We're dedicated we, to this we, podcast. We've we kicked man. everybody out of here. I flew home from the West Coast just to record this. Red episode. eye. Red just to be. That is true. Those Red are eye. Eight twenty one a.m. Pulled in straight to a little nap, and then started prepping for the podcast. We're dedicated to this, man. Super dedicated. Yeah. Dedicated That's, once a week. Yeah, once a week. I'm gonna have to get Johnny on the computer though, learn learning himself how to. No, I don't edit. I'm just the voice. Just the voice. I can't be. I can't. The voice of reason, Johnny Gallagher. No, you know who the voice of reason is. Voice of reason is your nan. My nan. Yeah. You don't know that. What's that? Are you kidding me? You've never paid attention to that in Racer X Hill. Uh. Uh. Yeah. Your nan is the voice of reason. My nan. Yeah. Who the fuck's nan? I thought that's what you guys called Rita. Nan-Nan. Okay, sorry. You, I say Nan, you say Nan-Nan, and you act like I don't know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I don't, because I thought you were referring to my mom. Because why my would, kids call my mom Nan. Okay, what so do you call you, Rita? You tell what do you call Rita Coombs? To me. What do you call Rita Coombs? Nan-Nan. Okay, <laughs> you don't see the irony there. So your Nan-Nan is the voice of reason. Google it. That's what Davey calls... They call Rita the voice of reason. She's credited in every Racer X Illustrated as the voice of reason. Well, well now you know. For good reason. Yeah. But You're Nan-Nan. Nan-Nan. Not Nan. Nan-Nan. Nan-Nan. All right. Let's shut it down. It's time to go eat. All right. We hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with some more racing to, to talk about. Yeah. NEPG. And we're about to we're about to go uh, full scale on this thing, man. We're gonna have some real juicy stuff in the next what three four weeks? Yeah, the next coming month. up. We got a bunch of guests lined up that are gonna be in studio. I don't know about a bunch, do we? 
Yeah, we do. You have, you have, okay. We're going to do some ATV stuff, man. We need, well, well, well we tried to have some quarter song. And, and we tried this down. Hey, you know what? I, uh, I only threw the offer out there once. Just saying. <laughs> I don't, I don't beg. We, I tell I you what, beg. still I don't beg. four episodes in people still talking about when are we going to get Caleb Russell on a quad, but we'll talk about that in the next episode. We will eventually. So we might, we might just be, uh, purchasing a ktm it's happened i have 50 xcf i 2008 uh, i don't think quad. it was called an xcf i think it was just xc 450 xc i could be wrong who the hell knows it's a quad. you googled it you were the one searching it on well actually my dad brought it up and sent a 525 that looked like shit so ben were you Way were you privy price. to this knowledge yeah it was. you saw this it was a pretty awesome exchange we have craigslist options though Marketplace, actually. Marketplace options. Yeah. It's not the bike, it's the rider. I'm well aware, but we have to have something that's not just going to fall apart. That will get you to the finish line? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we got to find a utility for Ben. We're going to have to, uh, for this, if anybody listening out there, uh, if you want, we'll accept donations now. If you want to see this happen, I'm all for it. Give me a quad, build me a quad, whatever. I'll race it. Give me a week. One week. That's what I... One All right. Week. So right now, starting Caleb, when you're editing this, one week, good. Start writing now. I'm not editing. They're they're saying I get that, but like for the clip that we need to put on Instagram, say what you just said, folks. We're we're soliciting a loner quad. Has to be a KTM for Caleb Russell to race at a GNCC. He needs it for one week to practice, get get accustomed to it, and then race it. So if you're out there, Caleb, what do you need? I need a KTM 450. XC, 2008 model. Can't be a 525? I mean, I know what the 525 is. I don't know. What 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 McGill race when he was? Uh, a lot of speculation about that, that he might have been on a 525, but. Well, it's an open class, so it shouldn't matter, right? Let's uh, not get into for, that right now, but there, there, was, oh, there was then. There's yeah. a rule. Well, honestly, <laughs> my dad said, uh, he's, he's like, there's no replacement for displacement, but. There is on how well it runs because those 525s are like, um, I don't know, worthless tractors. Yeah, I mean, they they are made for cruising around on roads and lugging around like a tractor. It's not really a race machine, so to speak. But so I would we prefer, digress. 450 squad. I'm, I'm going to solicit a KTM 450 XC set up, ready to roll. Mechanically sound. Yeah. Give, give us a loaner machine. We'll give you a big shout out on the three, podcast. Three good shocks. Three good shocks. I'll, we'll, I'll hook uh, it up. I'll hook it up with some tires. We'll get some parts. You'll get back some new stuff if you want to. I, I, I don't have the tools and resources to work on this pile of shit. So, so <laughs> if somebody's going to have to make it rideable, give me a week. Um, Don't want to do snowshoe. No. That's obviously off the table. So... Don't want to do Florida. Don't want to do snowshoe. Don't really want to do camp coker either. So the other nine rounds, yeah. Cool. You heard it here first. Throw it at me. You heard it here first. Let's do the damn thing. See you next week. Later. Thanks for listening to the Inside Line Podcast. Made possible by the folks at Carry Resources. A real estate and property development that's WFO. Because we all have to work hard to play hard.
check out their available assets and website at carryresources.com.